0: Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details.
1: Let Safeway help you unleash your globe with your favorite personal care products. Right now with Safeway, get great deals on all your favorite personal care products, like Head & Shoulders Base Shampoo, Pressed 3D Whitening Toothpaste, Listerine Antiseptic Mouthwash, Sensodyne Sensitivity Fresh Toothpaste, Degree Women Antiperspirant Deodorant, or Soft Soap Liquid Hand Soap. Visit Safeway.com or head into your local Safeway store for more deals and specific details. There's three sides to every
0: story. There's my side, your side, and the truth. Come on, girls. Let's go shopping.
1: That's not a knife. <laughs> this is a knife.
0: What are you looking at?
1: Rolling in a volume and me.
0: You're mad, you batter. Far ram you. Far ram you. There's no cash here. Here, there's
1: no cash, alright? Cash, no, Robo? No cash. I swear to Christ, Please you get a bag of all sorts in here, mate. Welcome to what
0: Hello and welcome to The Last New Wave, the podcast that looks at the wide and varied landscape that is Australian cinema. I wish to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land that this podcast is being recorded on, the Wadjuk people. I wish to acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and recognize their continuing connection to land, waters and community. We pay our respects to them and their cultures and to elders both past and present. On this episode, I am joined by the director of the documentary Tunnel Vision, Ivan Hexter. Tunnel Vision is another documentary which is showing at the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival and it's quite a political documentary in that it documents the public's response to the then Victorian Liberal Party's plan to build a massive tunnel underneath Melbourne, which would be called the East-West Link. It would cost $18 billion and also be a toll road. So essentially, not only would the public have to pay for the toll road to be built, uh, but then they would have to pay in the future to actually use it. Ivan and I have a really fascinating discussion here, which not only encompasses the protests that occurred in Melbourne around this particular event, uh, but also the the public action against, uh, locally for me, the Row 8 event, which occurred last year in the lead up to the state election, and also the issues that occur with WestConnex in New South Wales. So it is quite a political episode here, um, but we do touch on what goes into making a film like this that covers uh, protests and and things like that. It's really fascinating, so let's have a listen to the trailer for Tunnel Vision, and then we'll be back with the interview.
1: The people of Victoria, welcome East West Link Stage 1.
0: Now. There's thousands upon thousands of people out there that absolutely support our campaign and are opposed to the construction of this tunnel. People here give a shit about the environment. They give a shit about their communities. We're not going to cop it.
1: It's, it's it's
0: The primary purpose of the road was a freight link and so this was about doing a deal with the Port of Melbourne and with big business in Melbourne to give them uh, a publicly subsidised freight route and pass it off to the public as something in the public interest.
1: So the whole rationale for the project was a lie.
0: We were putting the government on the back foot, turning the debate that the East-West Link would definitely go ahead to the idea that this is a project that's by the day more and more
1: an election issue.
0: We've been told that we're not under arrest um, but I'm cuffed, and they're not letting me go. Hello, Ivan. It's
1: How are you going? Hey, Andrew. Good to hear your voice, mate. I'm going well. Hope you're the same.
0: Yes, yes, going well. We've got a public holiday here today, so it's uh, even better. <laughs> mate, and you're doing work. I'm... I'm, I'm deeply deeply touched <laughs> well i've uh, you know I've, I've been busy doing uh, a lot of interviews for the melbourne documentary film festival and um right which has been great and and certainly seeing a lot of different films uh, which has been really fascinating so it's been great to be able to talk to all the directors and producers and and the like and uh, dig into what their film's about and stuff like that so you know it's been really good
1: yeah do you get to attend the festival or I suppose you don't need to um
0: unfortunately because I'm based in Perth it's it's a bit difficult for me to head across especially um at at the same time like I I was considering it but it's uh the the festival runs from sort of right when one of the major festivals here in WA is on um so if I went across to that then I'd miss uh the 20th anniversary of this one so um yeah, mate, you're just in demand. What can I say? <laughs> well, next next year I might come across. We'll see. We'll see what happens. But uh, you know, it's been good. Uh, a lot of the films. Have you Have you been able to see any of the films? Uh, like that? Uh, that your your film is going to be showing with? Or uh, do you know
1: what? I have seen zero. Sure. Uh, I mean, um, yeah, that they're they're films that. Well, as you would probably know, Andrew, uh, the exhibition of documentary films in this country is um, essentially now an online experience if, um, you know, if those films uh, can um, have release on a platform that has some profile.
0: Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It's, uh, it's sad, isn't it? <laughs> you know, that, that that's uh, the state of uh, documentary film in some way because it's, you know, the, the films that I've seen at least have been really great and telling some really fascinating stories. So um, if you do get a chance, the one that I really like quite a lot is uh, China's Three Dreams, which is a really, really great documentary about China. Um, really fascinating and interesting. So if you do get a chance, head along and see that. Well, try and see as many as you can, but. Um, exactly. Yeah, that's the one I've, I've, you know, I've been impressed by all of them. But, um, you know, besides yours, of course, uh, you know, uh-huh. I, I think that one was really good too. Yeah.
1: I'll, I'll make sure I see it. At, uh, I'm trying to set aside the entire week, if it is possible, to uh, from the 9th to the 16th when it's on here to see as many films as possible. So that is now on my list, China's Three Dreams. <laughs> Any other recommendations? Most welcome.
0: Yes, yeah, definitely. Well, that, I mean, all the ones that I've seen have been really fantastic. And, you know, I've I've been talking to a lot of uh, Australian directors and producers as well, and it's really interesting to see the work that we're producing, uh, well, the Australian filmmakers are producing and, and the stories that we're telling because, you know, and, and I guess, I mean, Usually, I kind of, uh, when doing an interview, I'll, I'll, you know, obviously introduce who I'm talking to. So I guess we'll kind of, because we're having this discussion already, we'll jump straight into it. I guess um, up to the so, chase. <laughs> yeah, for for listeners, I'm I'm talking to Ivan Hexter, who is a director of a documentary called Tunnel Vision, which we'll we'll talk about the subject of that in just a moment, but. One of the things which I've noticed about the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival, especially the films that I've I've been watching and, and enjoying a lot, is that they're all very socially conscious uh, documentaries. They're all about the world around us and the world that is changing around us. And um, you know, China's Three Dreams is about China, and there's a documentary that's about uh, the way that we eat food, and there's also a documentary about sort of trying to change the way that we essentially create businesses and startups uh, small businesses to to try and uh, innovate and not you know go into different the the same sort of areas that we're already going into and then your documentary as well comes along which is a really fascinating documentary um and do you want to tell us just a little bit about what your documentary is about and it's pretty clear about the social aspect of it when you do talk about the uh, when you do will mention about what the subject is
1: Thanks, Andrew. Um, Well, Tunnel Vision is the story of a community, uh, largely a Melbourne-based community, that stood up, uh, certainly got heard, and uh, made history by um, stopping an $18 billion uh, road toll project called the East-West Link. And the East-West Link was uh, really an unannounced state government or then state government initiative uh, to... um, it is argued, make them look good in in, uh, a forthcoming election year uh, to be seen as a a can-do government. They'd recently, under the Liberal National Party here in Victoria, they'd recently changed leaders. Uh, Ted Bailey had resigned, uh, indeed, because he was seen as a do-nothing Premier and was replaced by uh, Dr Dennis Napthine Who uh, immediately shortly after being elected by his party of course as leader certainly not by the people of Victoria uh, announced the building of the East West Link uh, Road tollway an 18 billion dollar project that was going to cut through the heart of inner Melbourne so that's uh, that's the subject matter but it's really a story about uh, how we can have a voice, that we do have a voice as, a, as an individual and as communities to stand up and be heard and uh, make a difference. And in this case, this community uh, certainly stood up, and for 18 months uh, they were heard, broadcast on mainstream media virtually uh, every night, and a heck of a lot of social media, of course. In fact, social media was vital in galvanizing this community and bringing them together for a common cause. So that's the beginnings of it. And uh, over 18 months, uh, I filmed it because uh, it was very much an up-close and personal experience for me, given that the part of that uh, tunnel tollway uh, would, in fact, be built um, pretty much outside my own home. Mm. So um, I met with a number of community members early in the piece The test drilling, geotechnical drilling That really heralded the beginning of the project This was drilling commissioned by the state government To sample uh, cores of earth uh, along the route of the proposed uh, tunnel That drilling actually started in my own street so um, as you do when you're a filmmaker, Andrew, I'm sure you'd appreciate you grab your camera and you start recording. And that's exactly what I did and continued that for 18 months until in this case, uh, I must say from my perspective, surprisingly, but very welcome uh, result in uh, the community actually winning this uh, this uh, campaign to stop what would have been a disastrous road, uh, socially, economically, environmentally, mm. and so on. I believe you've had a similar, uh, a similar sort of experience with what I believe is called Row Eight over yes, in uh, yes. WA. Yes. Yeah.
0: So, Row 8, for listeners, uh, unfortunately, there's no, as far as I understand, there's no documentary about it coming out, which would be really fascinating if there was, but uh, for listeners, um, Row 8 is essentially a highway that would go through a uh, sensitive, environmentally sensitive area um, with a heritage-listed banksia woodland, and uh, also it would plough, it was going to plough through a bunch of uh, Indigenous landmarks as well, Um, and they did prior to the election, much like, uh, with the East West Link in, in Melbourne, they, they did start sort of doing some work and, and, you know, paying, uh, contractors to get the work done, uh, months before an election. And, uh, fortunately enough, they, they, you know, a change of government has come in and stopped that happening. And, and just like yourself, Ivan, as well, um, you know, where the East West link would go through the area that would affect your house, um the row eight link would actually go through an area which would affect my house. It would go directly behind my house. So uh, it was something that I had a vested interest in, um, in the sense yeah. that I didn't want it to go ahead. <laughs> um, so watching your documentary was really fascinating because, uh, in Australia, at least we've had, you know, the row eight project, the East West project. And then, um, I guess in a sense that Victorian WA can look at the project of, um, West Connects in uh, New South Wales as being kind of like the, an example of, of what not to do. So when That's you, when uh, you know, I don't know how far along West Connects was going when uh, this particular, the East-West uh, link was going <laughs> on, but did that kind of, you know, seeing what occurred in, in New South Wales, did that kind of spur you on a little bit to say, hey, I really need to, you know, do something about it and the best way I can do it is pick up a camera and, and document what's
1: going on? Well, the order of events, uh, Andrew, was that the West Connects uh, campaign, really, to try and stop that, which is still right now a very live campaign, hadn't really gained the sort of momentum that we are currently seeing at the time that East West was uh, a high profile issue mm-hmm. here. Um, so we're talking about. The conclusion of that campaign and in this state's uh, example of the re-election of a, a new government that uh, had been elected vowing to block the campaign, to stop the road, stop building the road, which in fact they did. And uh, just to diverge for a moment, we now have uh, the Metro Rail project, uh, the priority infrastructure project here. So that's uh, an 11 or $12 billion mm. new rail project that um, is the right sort of solution for congestion in, uh, you know, insignificant, in big cities. And so that uh, project begins uh, construction early next year um, and it's estimated it will take about 18,000 cars per day off roads. So um Sorry to diverge there, but West Connect uh, kicked in in earnest a little later. In fact, uh, the first screening of Tunnel was in in a festival context, happened uh, through the Australian Environmental Film Festival last year and uh, it was selected to screen, in fact, was nominated for uh, Best Documentary, as I recall, and... uh, as part of that uh, festival program, it travelled to Sydney, and myself and producer uh, Bessie Byrne uh, travelled there for the screening. And as a result of that, we met a number of West Connects uh, activists, and as a result of that, we actually uh, started some filming of uh, some of the West Connects uh, campaign activities. Uh, around Sydney Park, Uh, uh, and also um, a protest um, in Newtown, actually similar to the sort of thing I'd experienced here where test drilling was uh, happening in a local street in Newtown. There were a number of uh, protesters there, and we filmed what soon became a confrontation with police and... uh, the arrest of a number of those protesters. So uh, we've been connected with West Connects only by virtue of uh, coming to and being able to meet with them and and being able to, in fact, um, I hope, uh, assist them with uh, some filming and subsequent work we've done here and uh, sent to them um, really informational pieces, short films, that profile uh, the dimensions of that disastrous project, which will turn Sydney into the toxic capital of Australia.
0: Mm. It's it's really frightening, that, isn't it? And one of the things I think is really impressive about your film is that you do, you know, this is about a specific event, but it is it's even more so about communities coming together and... You know standing up for what they believe in in ways that they can in in quite legal ways and and that's the thing that is really shocking as well as you're saying that there are you know some protesters who are arrested and and the treatment that they they get from uh, police officers is kind of is quite quite distressing at times because you know the these are people who are there to protect us in a way and here they are manhandling somebody who's just sitting in a spot um so yeah. I guess the question is for you as a as a filmmaker, how do you try and sort of uh, capture the the events without getting involved uh, to an extent, uh, without getting yourself in trouble too much,
1: <laughs> without getting arrested? Yes, yeah.
0: that's
1: the, <laughs> the goal is to uh, stay um, stay a filmmaker and not a prisoner. Yes. So um, I guess <clears throat> you've touched on on a few things there. I mean. Over the course of the 18 months, the um, the campaign and, of course, uh, the various um, campaign protests that I filmed, uh, as far as the police involvement were concerned, be- became more and more, shall I say, dramatic. Certainly the police became more and more aggressive. Mm-hmm. So uh, being in the thick of that, um, you can't really predict what, may or may not happen but certainly after a time the um, some members of that police force uh, were you know less friendly towards me let's say Um, and you know occasionally there'd be the suggestion made that I'd done enough filming for the day and I'd suggest they'd done enough policing and you know there'd be a a bit of a, a friendly exchange but Underlying it all and underlying the whole police presence was really their role to intimidate and try and deter protesters from, uh, in this case, uh, doing their front-line work, which was the picketing of um, various uh, drill sites, numerous drill sites that have been set up around inner Melbourne. So, um, as you mentioned earlier, the theme of the film, although it's uh, about uh, a campaign to stop this particular toll road project, it's actually a film about empowerment, mm. and and it's about a film a film should I say about communities that um, are able to achieve a great deal um, in and using their democratic rights to heard and that, um, that right, if you like, um, is something that not a lot of us get directly involved with because um, there are a lot of, a lot of things that get in the way, even if you feel passionately about a particular subject, a lot of things that can get in the way of being heard or even believing you could be heard. Um, even if you felt strongly about a particular issue so this film's actually a document to people power Mm -hmm. and it's a document that how um, you can make a difference
0: and I think it's a really good document in, in doing that as well because in Australia at least we we aren't really a we don't Tend to protest too much. Like at least from from Perth's perspective, we don't see it occur too much. Um, compared to, I guess, internationally in the UK and in America, they they do protest quite a lot, and it's it's possibly a little bit easier to get the manpower behind uh, people to come out and and speak out against things that are happening in society. Um, so it's really yep. impressive that you know the the community of Melbourne, as you show in the film here. Is able to actually get a lot of people who you wouldn't expect to come out and protest against certain things. Um, in that yep. regard, were you surprised by some of the, the the people that did that did appear to protest against the the, the link?
1: Very surprised. I mean, this is just your regular cross section of what I would say is an average urban community, and that uh, manpower, as you call it, or people power, um, directly came about through the concerns of a, a, a vast cross-section of individuals covering all ages and ethnicities and so on. Um, so that was quite remarkable. And it it also, for me, was kind of my introduction to actually meeting my own community. Hmm. I mean, I hadn't really engage with the community because unless you're, you know, a member of a group within a local sphere of something or other, um, you know, you, your social connection with your immediate community is often limited. And that was certainly the case with me pre-East-West. Um, but because of East-West, I, I met and engaged with... Uh, a significant number of people um, and not just the uh, the, the frontline sort of activists um, but there were a vast number of organisations and individuals working behind the scenes, working social media, working other forms of communication to get the messages out there as to why this would be such a dog of a project. Um, <clears throat> so Really, it's about working collectively. I mean, working collectively is the answer to making big uh, impacts, and it's big impacts that uh, can create history, uh, as this community did in the case of East West, and surprisingly so from my point of view. I must say all the power was in the hands of the state government here, or the then state government, the LNP uh, government at that time, and they threw millions and millions and millions of dollars trying to shut this protest down, mm. um, and it didn't succeed. Um, importantly, it, the, the, the 18 months of, of campaigning led up to a state election, and a bit like Row 8, where you had an approaching election and a building momentum against a particular uh, infrastructure project. And, of course, you elected a new state government and, uh, like the example here, that uh, infrastructure project uh, was buried. Yes. So um, there's a lot to be learned out of the community experience in the film and the tactics and strategies used against, I would say, virtually impossible odds. To get the outcome that they did, um, so it's it was a huge win, and a great motivator, as I've discovered in the uh, subsequent screening of the films to uh, audiences, a great motivator, to uh, and a catalyst for social action where it's required.
0: Mm, very much so. Now the the thing that you know as you're saying you you decided sort of early on, I need to get my camera out and start filming this. At what point did you sort of go, all right, now I'm making this film. Now I've got to get somebody else on board to help me, you know, finish up this film and essentially um, get some funding for it, a producer on board? Just walk me through the process of of actually getting the film completed. Uh, Did you always have it in mind of like, all right, what I'm filming is going to be a completed documentary or did you kind of decide along the way, all right, I need to make something bigger than just documenting this, uh, you know, and, and show it to people?
1: Yeah, well, that's a big question, Andrew. <laughs> I'll try and keep it a small answer where possible. Please pull me up if I uh, no. go off rails. <laughs> But, look, getting it completed uh, was a... Um, like many documentary films, I suppose, it's an organic process. I mean, you go out thinking you might be filming, you know, A, and often you'll come back with F. I mean, you know, you, you, you're never really sure. Um, in in many documentary contexts, you're never really sure quite what you're going to, going to end up with. And uh, I was filming solo on this, so I was um, – you know, camera person, editor, um, sound guy, uh, sound guy, <laughs> food, <laughs> writer, director. You know, gopher. Yep. What, well, whatever required being done is what I did, and uh, it wasn't until uh, near the end of, as it turned out, of filming, because once uh, the uh, the community had won the campaign, there was clearly a natural conclusion to the story. Um, I did have a producer on board prior to that period, but um, not very active, and um, or not as active, should I say, as um, probably would be needed to you know, take on a lot of tasks, certainly as far as the filming side was concerned, because, as I said, it had really been uh, virtually completed. But um, we had a little bit of exposure through media, community radio and other sources here, and uh, I did receive some contact from uh, some volunteers to assist with the film, Uh, and one of those volunteers turned out to be the uh, wonderful producer, uh, Bessie Byrne. And Bessie's um, been a a great strength to the project and has stepped into that producing role in uh, a most uh, appreciated way and a a very uh, strong, powerful way in terms of getting shit done as uh, (laughs) producers are asked to do. Um, So we mounted a crowdfunding campaign to to try and generate at least some cash flow to keep the project going and to be able to pay for certain requirements. And we raised about 15 grand um, that way. I mean, it's a, a microscopic budget when you think of funds that are assigned to documentaries or invested in documentaries when you start talking to the likes of Screen Australia or other significant funding bodies where, you know, the expectation is if you're making an hour documentary, you'll have a minimum budget of a quarter of a million dollars. Mm. So, I mean, we were, there was a big gulf there, but these sorts of films get made, um, as I'm sure many of the films in the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival have been made, (coughs) excuse me, through people with a bit of passion. But, uh, That uh, completion pathway saw uh, Bessie come on board as producer, uh, saw uh, crowdfunding initiatives uh, and saw some success in reaching out and gaining support. Um, And it certainly got us over the line as far as then the post-production was concerned. But, you know, that's an issue in the sense of structure and storytelling how do you best tell the story that, uh, in this case, you've shot, I think I must have shot about 60 hours of material. And uh, it was a daunting task, uh, imagining how that might best come together. But because I'd obviously been in the thick of it for such a time and knew the subject matter very well and knew um, many in the community very well by that stage, um, I formulated a structure that I thought would work kind of on paper, an outline that I thought might serve the subject well. And that's what I then went ahead and did. And, uh, you know, obviously there's a bit of refinement and so on, but essentially the cut I did over the next six months or so um, is the film you see now. One of the kind of difficult things that's lingered with the film is that, uh, as you'll recall, Andrew, in what is a an hour-length film there's about five minutes of um, mainstream uh, news footage. Yes, yeah. Free-to-air television footage, uh, 7, 9, 2, 10. Um, and that footage was sourced, you know, off-air um, and... At the time of it being recorded, essentially news bulletins or some current affair-type excerpts, um, not quite knowing what, if any, role it might play in the film, it did become a kind of an important component to another layer of, I think, interest in the film, which is the, the media's approach to the subject generally and their portrayal. Of the subject and of activists and others so it was just another layer of interest I thought but it also gave some important signposts to certain turning points in the story in terms of the community um, uh, not just gaining the upper hand but the way in which the community was portrayed the way in which certain activists were portrayed Um, and it wasn't just the media free-to-air television but also the press and particularly the Murdoch press who um, had a, let's say, a particular uh, lack of empathy <laughs> uh, for the protesters and for not building East West Link. So I mention this because um, although the film has been completed and the screening of festivals, we've only been able to afford, that is to pay for, the use of that news footage in the context of festival screenings. Right. So, as you know, from a filmmaker's point of view, festival screenings are a great opportunity to showcase the film, but they provide certainly no financial reward. So, uh, we're now in a situation where, for the rest of this year, television will screen at certain festivals here and overseas. And um, we would then like it to have a public screening. Sure. But um, to have that public screening, we need to secure the rights to that footage and although that news footage. And although we've negotiated with the network substantially um, and two of the networks actually uh, decided to provide their footage uh, purely in return for a screen credit, Okay. And much to their credit, uh, channels 9 and 10 were those networks. Hmm. Um, they decided that um, the film was uh, more important than their news broadcasts in, 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 in a public interest context. Um, but channel 7 and 2 declined. And so we had uh, protracted lengthy negotiations with 7 and 2, to try and uh, get some commercial something reasonable in a commercial sense, so that we could um, purchase those rights to screen the film unencumbered anywhere in the known universe. Um, we still have an outstanding debt to those two networks of some eighteen now about fifteen thousand uh, dollars to be able to secure those rights. So. Um, You know, there's another whole issue here, which I don't intend we should discuss on your (laughs) program, but that's the state of play, and we've still got a crowdfunding campaign through the Documentary Australia Foundation, which have kindly supported this uh, film from uh, its early uh, post-production days. And Documentary Australia Foundation have a website, and uh, I urge your listeners particularly those that are extremely well healed to um, consider a donation via the website, which is, I will add, tax deductible.
0: Yes, well, I'll, I'll make sure to put a link to that in the, the show notes as well. And I Thank guess... Uh, yeah, no, it's all right. Well, I think that, you know, that's the thing, is that with Australian documentaries and international documentaries as well, is that it is, as you've explained, it is so hard to get the, the appropriate funding for them uh, that you know, there is a reliance, in a way, feeding back into what the theme of your film is. There is a reliance on community support to help tell these stories and help get these stories uh, out and out in the air. Because, unfortunately, um, you know, narrative films or, or fictional films rather, uh, are not so. Uh, they don't tend to cover these these areas. And um, you know, going into the discussion of the media and stuff like that, they've only got one-minute or 30-second sound bites, in some regards uh, to kind of encompass a massive problem uh, in in their news reports, that they can't be, uh, you know, as, as in-depth as your film is. So, you know, it's great to see that it exists, but, yeah, there, there really needs to be more support for these kinds of stories to be made and to be produced so uh, audiences out there can see them and, and get an understanding of, of what's going on in the world.
1: Well, in... Uh, look, I obviously can't help but agree and uh, well put. Um, yes. I, I mean, look, it is a sad state of affairs in documentary exhibition. Um, as far as free-to-air television is concerned, um, in my view, the ABC have completely abrogated their responsibility in the space um, and have done so for at least the past decade um the independent voice is stifling the breadth of our culture, the depth of our culture the depth of our um, of, of Australian stories that are vital to the telling of who we are what we're about um, particularly you know in contemporary times mm. so um you know I, we mustn't get stuck in that space in the sense that, Can things change? Well, things are changing. Um, Fortunately, Free to Air haven't quite got it yet um, in the sense that uh, there's a a hunger out there to learn new truths about our existence and about how we engage with one another and the discovery of important uh, understandings about issues that matter. Uh, All those things are the sorts of things that uh, documentary can and often does tackle successfully. But if there's no uh, readily available screening platform and uh, Free to Wear still reaches a mass audience and a publicly funded broadcaster like the ABC and to a lesser extent SBS, I'll let them off the hook a little, (laughs) um, but certainly the ABC, it's a disgraceful, Situation where the public airways, paid for by your and my taxes, do not have space for independent media voices.
0: Yeah, and you're 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 not the first director who I've interviewed for Melbourne Documentary Film Festival who has um, echoed that that particular sentiment. So uh, you know it's it's good in a way to hear that it's coming from directors uh, that you know the the. Annoyed or, or frustrated is probably a better word uh, at, at the public broad, broadcaster, but it's also disheartening to see that that's the case. Um, so on a more positive note then, um, yes. Yes. <laughs> as, as we, we wrap up, I'll ask you a couple more questions and I'll let you uh, you head on to your day. Um, what's next for you as a, as a director? Because I understand this is your first uh, sort of documentary film that you directed is there do you have uh, grand plans to to do another one in the future or you know uh yeah. hopefully of course uh, there's no revival of a of a, a public <laughs> event like this that would need you to to film it but uh hopefully there is another film that you've got in the pipeline uh,
1: well we're hoping east west rides again is not the sequel <laughs> <laughs> um But, um, look, just to correct you on one point there, um, this is certainly not my uh, first um, featured documentary as a director. Ah, well, Um, apologies
0: for that. Sorry.
1: That's uh, fine. Um, I've had 25-plus years um, making various films, but over that period, uh, several documentaries uh, primarily and ironically enough mainstream ABC documentaries. (laughs) Um, So, um, and the most recent was uh, Antarctic Oasis, or the title of it was Antarctic Oasis, A Haunting Journey, which uh, screened on what was then ABC Artscape um, Tuesday, sort of 10 p.m. slot, I think. Um, That's gone to God too, that programming strand. But, um, no, I I have made a number of one-hour um documentaries in the past but what's coming up next well um we're we're exploring a few topics um i'm quite interested in exploring the topic of love andrew
0: okay interesting it's quite a and, difference from um tunnels <laughs>
1: <laughs> i've got to share the hugs and kisses i'm afraid i've been too traumatized tunnel uh, television, but um yeah so we're exploring that at the moment and um, a feature length documentary based around the theme of love, which obviously is very rich and quite emotive and engaging and for which everyone in the known universe uh, has a relationship with so um but I've also just finished writing a feature uh screenplay uh so entering into the realm of non fiction and this is uh in fact, a comedy. Um,
0: Again, a, a different tack from
1: uh, the, from Tunnel Vision.
0: <laughs> Love and a comedy.
1: Well, I I, I think um, you know I was looking for something to kind of amuse myself a bit, and um, and just have some fun with. But it's a topic that uh, kind of came my way. Uh, it's based on a around a play that I heard about, written uh, by. Um, Australian uh, famous Australian playwright John Romerall. and um, I heard about the briefly about the story behind this play, and it uh, greatly appealed to me the uh, the inciting incident as they call it, um, which is about two uh, two prisoners who were on a work detail and um, out doing kind of community service work on a organised prison work detail, and uh, the guards forgot to pick them up. They just simply forgot them. Oh, jeez! <laughs> and uh, it's the story of then what happens. So I've just finished writing that screenplay, and I'm putting it out there to a few um, producers, hoping that they may have some interest, and uh, exploring a few documentary themes, including love
0: would well, be uh, fascinated to see what what happens uh, with both the script and and the documentary about love it it sounds uh, really interesting and and you know obviously uh, I'll keep an eye out for that in the future and and uh, because the the particular show that we do we we cover Australian film quite a lot um, because we're very passionate about Australian film we love it and we through this show we try and amplify uh voices to try and say hey go and check out these films because they're really good um so in that regard the the final question that i've got that i i tend to ask all, all listeners is is there a particular australian film documentary or, or feature film doesn't have to be uh, you know either or um that you would recommend people seek out and and watch
1: well i'd certainly like to recommend uh, a documentary that is screening at. uh Melbourne Documentary Film Festival, and that's the Bentley Effect. Um, have you heard of it, Andrew?
0: I haven't. Unfortunately, uh, it didn't pop up on my list of uh, films that I was able to to watch uh, that Lyndon had sent through. So um, it's certainly, by the sounds of it, it's one that I I will need to seek out. Tell tell us a little bit about it.
1: Just briefly, it's the story of the uh, uh, New South Wales Northern Rivers community that also stood up against. a a project they found completely unacceptable, and that was um, the uh, uh, fracking of uh, lands within that uh, northern New South Wales area. And um, uh, director, I'm thinking Michael Shoebridge, but um, it's directed by Mr. Shoebridge. (laughs) And um, the Bentley effect uh, explores the... Story of that community's journey in a very engaging and powerful way to ultimately again win a campaign that saw the complete end to fracking in that uh, part of Australia.
0: Well, it sounds so, yeah really interesting, and it's and that's a problem which is is again like your documentary very universal. Uh, sorry, I cut you off there. What were you going to say? No, no.
1: No, and just briefly, this isn't a film I've seen, so it comes through a second-hand recommendation, but through an excellent uh, source, and that's the Australian uh, feature film titled Hounds of Love.
0: Yes. (laughs) Yeah, we watched that recently. It's quite good, yeah.
1: Quite good. Good. Well, look, no doubt you'll be doing a a review if you haven't already.
0: Yes, yeah, we'll do Well, actually, interestingly enough, so that was directed by Ben Young, and... Uh, yep. in, in the suburb that I live in, it was actually filmed in the suburb just next to us. Um, and given Brilliant. the subject matter, uh, both my wife and I were a bit like, "Oh, okay, so this is this is what our suburb is like," um, which is very <laughs> frightening. <laughs>
1: <laughs> very, very frightening. Yes. But um, oh well, I'll look forward to having listened to your broadcast on that. Um, thank you so much for you know the, your your great work and important work in her, helping. Um, Profile um, uh, films of note.
0: Yes, well, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. And, you know, definitely everybody uh, head along to go and see Tunnel Vision. It's screening July 16th at 5 pm. Um, so, you know, and I'll put all the links in on the website as well for people to seek out to help support the documentary, to go and buy tickets, and to learn more about uh, the film as well, which is is really important as we've discussed here. Um, so, yeah, once again, thank you very much, Ivan. I, I appreciate your
1: time. Thank you, Andrew. Love your work. Cheers. Have Cheers. a good day. Thanks, man. Cheers.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of The Last New Wave. Again, the date that Tunnel Vision is screening at the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival is Sunday, July 16th at 5pm. I'll make sure to put the link to purchase tickets in the show notes as well. Uh, And I'll also put the link in to support the film on Documentary Australia's website, which is documentaryaustralia.com.au forward slash films forward slash 3938 forward slash tunnel dash vision. If you don't want to click on the link below, uh, just to help them essentially uh, get funding for this film. Uh, As you heard in the discussion there, it is very difficult for documentary filmmakers at times to get funding. And these kinds of stories are essentially what documentary filmmaking can be about. It can be about telling these films, these stories that... That don't usually get out and unfortunately uh, it is very difficult nowadays uh, for theatrical releases or for even television releases for these kinds of stories and that's where a documentary film festival like the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival comes along and screens these great sorts of films Uh, so make sure to head along when you're if you're in Melbourne to see these documentaries because it's really important to support these kinds of films If you want to hear more interviews as well, you can also head over to our website, which is abfilmreview.com, where you can hear previous interviews and also upcoming interviews with directors from the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival, or there's even uh, interviews with people who are... aren't having film screened at the Mobile Documentary Film Festival, Uh, such as, for example, it was uh, director Brian Trenchard-Smith's birthday the other day, and uh, you can head over to our website to hear the interview that we did with him uh, last year in regards to his film, The Man from Hong Kong. So there is certainly a lot of varied content there. Uh, We'll also have a, a review of Hounds of Love as well, which will be popping up, and it's one of the films that I even recommend seeking out. I also recommend seeking out other episodes of uh, my, the the podcast that essentially I share a network with which is on followingfilms.com uh, Pop Culture Case Study True Bromance War Machine vs. Warhorse, who recently celebrated 300 episodes so that's 900 films that have been watched over about two and a half years uh, if you're not already listening to these shows then, then please do because there's a lot of great content on there and certainly I uh, do guests on there quite a bit so you know obviously a self-promotion there um that's enough for me follow us on social media ab from review or the last new wave both on facebook or twitter keep watching australian cinema and i'll see you on the next episode of the last new wave Of this podcast, support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzcastNetwork.com for details. Feeling lucky? Nemecolon's Lady Luck Casino is under new management and better than ever with 26 table games and an array of slot machines for you to test your luck. Try your luck at the table games, hit the slots for the day, or stay overnight to enjoy Nemecolon's luxury accommodations, fine dining, and all that the casino has to offer in one breathtaking mountain location. Visit Nemecolon.com for more information and to reserve your stay. Lady Luck is open to the public. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER.